0: Okay, we're going to carry on in our series on the minor prophets, and I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed our study. These 12 minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament are men that God called to speak to his people, Israel. Now, of course, at this time, Israel was divided into two sections, You know, when Israel came out of Egypt at the time of the Exodus, they were all one. They were all united, all 12 tribes. But when they came into the Promised Land, unfortunately, there was a separation. What was one nation became two. There was the northern kingdom of Israel, which was made up of 10 of the tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which was made up of two of the tribes. And in fact, at some times in their history, the two were warring against one another. So they came through the period of the kings, of course, Saul, Solomon, David, uh, or David first and then Solomon, and then a period of judges and so on and so forth. And all of these 12 prophets spoke to either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom at some time in their history. We come now to the book of Haggai and Haggai was a prophet that spoke to the southern kingdom of Judah in fact he went into captivity with them when the Babylonians conquered Judah destroyed the city of Jerusalem destroyed the temple took most of the population into captivity into prisoner of war camps if you will Haggai was there with them but then the time came uh, when Babylon was conquered by the Persians, 538 B.C. And all of the prisoners of war were set free. So the Jews were allowed to return back to their homeland, where they can begin to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple. So Haggai the prophet was one of the returning prisoners who was now sent by God to assist at actually rebuilding the temple. The temple was the center of worship for the people of Israel. So let's turn to the book of Haggai now, and we'll start with prayer. Lord, as we study this book, help us to understand the meaning that we can get from it. It's not just a lesson in history, but there are words in this book that pertain to us today. So open our eyes and our hearts to take in the message that you have for us and the words of encouragement you've planned for us here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the Israelites, or the people of Judah, rather, I should say, returned back to their homeland, and it actually took 18 years for them to begin working at rebuilding the temple. And let's begin reading in Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. So this is Haggai's prophecy to the people of Judah. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. So the people were dawdling, they were involved in other stuff. And even though God wanted them to rebuild the temple, which would be their center of worship of God, the people were putting it off. Verse three, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the temple remains a ruin? So, when they came out of captivity, came back to their homeland, their first priority in their minds was to rebuild their homes and to make them beautiful. And they're living in comfort in their homes, and they've kind of put aside the thought of rebuilding the temple. Verse 5 Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So in other words, as long as the people's priority was on themselves, rebuilding their own homes, making them luxurious and so on and so forth, God says, have you noticed that things haven't really been working out for you? Everything that you thought was gonna be fine and enjoyable and comfortable, they're not why because you're not making god your priority in life he says in verse seven this is what the lord almighty says give careful thought to your ways go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house the temple so that i may take pleasure in it and be honored says the lord you expected much but see it turned out to be little What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in ruins. While each of you is busy with his own house, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. Verse 12 Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and the spirit of Joshua son of Jehozadak the high priest and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people they came and began to work on the house of the Lord almighty their god on the 24th day of the 6th month in the second year of king Darius so this turns out to be actually tomorrow September 21st of the year 520 BC that's when the work on the temple began. September 21st, which is tomorrow, but 520 BC, 18 years after they had returned to the land. So we see the first lesson here is if you don't make God the priority in your life, if you're just involved with your own personal comfort, you know, building up your own home making sure that you have all that you desire, by failing to make God the priority in their lives, they lived in frustration and discontent. If you spend your time and energy seeking comfort and security from the world, every pleasure will leave a sour aftertaste of depression, guilt, and frustration. And unfortunately, that's the lesson that perhaps some of us had had to learn over the years because our priorities were wrong and we weren't seeking God. We weren't trying to come into a closer relationship with him. We had our minds on other things and God had to teach us a lesson somehow that if your priority isn't with him. That things are not going to go, go the way that you hope that they would. You know, Jesus said something similar. Hold your place there. And I want to turn to Matthew 6 and verse 25. Matthew 6 and verse 25. This, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about people worrying. And even still to this day, people, including some Christians, worry a lot. They're frightened. They're upset about the way things are going in the world and perhaps even in their own personal life. But notice what Jesus said here. Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But notice verse 33 talks about priorities in our life, but seek first of top importance. In other words, the biggest priority in your life should always be his kingdom and his righteousness And if you seek those things of your highest priority, all these things that you might normally worry about will be given to you as well. So this is a lesson that the people of Judah had to learn when they delayed rebuilding the temple because they were all involved in everything else, mostly personal stuff, and they didn't have time for God. And if we don't have time for God, God may see to it that we have plenty to worry about. But if we make God, priori- our, God our priority, our top priority, we don't have to worry about anything because he is in charge and he will be in charge of our lives too. And he will see to it that we have all that we need. So that lesson applies directly to our day today. Why are we here today? Because we have placed God as our priority. We know how important it is to gather together with fellow believers and to worship Him, to worship Him publicly, because He is so important to us. He is vital to us. We can't imagine what our lives would be without our relationship with God. We just can't imagine what it would be like living out in this world today without a knowledge of God, without a relationship with God, without being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. We just take these things for granted, and rightly so. We're Christians. We're God's children. We count on these things. They're important to us, vitally important. But let's remember the lesson that the people of Judah had to learn upon their return. Have God as your priority always. Set aside time for Him, not just once a week coming to church here, but every day of our lives, to be thinking about him, to be talking to him in normal conversation, because he's there listening all the time. He wants to hear what we have to say, what we're thinking. But to just praise him and to put him as number one, and he's going to see to all of the needs that we have, and he's going to see to it that we get by in this crazy, violent, and dangerous world. Okay, so that's the first lesson. Now we come to the second lesson of the book of Haggai. We'll turn back there now to chapter 2. So the people finally get back to work and rebuilding the temple. And this is going to be, once again, the center of their worship of God. Just to back up for a moment, there were basically two temples in the history of Jerusalem. Don't forget, when Israel came out of Egypt at the time of the Exodus, they worshiped God in the wilderness in a tent. It was called the tabernacle. And that went on for centuries. Finally, when they came into the Promised Land, I said centuries, I meant 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. But when they came into the promised land, and of course, David made preparations for the building of the temple, Solomon, and his son, finally built the temple, and that stood in Jerusalem as the place of worship until the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. So now, this is the beginning of what is known as the second temple, okay? The second temple period and as we're going to see it starts out small but this temple after being renovated time and time again will eventually be the temple that jesus came to in his life during his ministry it's called the second temple in some cases it's called herod's temple because king herod when jesus walked this earth he spent a lot of time renovating and beautifying the temple So it eventually became something really grand. So this is the beginnings of what is known as the second temple in Jerusalem. But let's read in verse 1 of Haggai 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? In other words, Solomon's temple. You know, the uh, Bible talks a lot about Solomon's temple and all that went into it. God gifted special people to do the craftsmanship on this temple. There was a lot of gold involved. There were a lot of fine woods involved. Uh, There were silver... So much decoration, so much splendor. And now here's a group of returning Jews from prisoner of war camps, and they've got their hammers, and they've got their chisels, and they're just starting to put together something, a a place to worship. And it's very modest in comparison to Solomon's temple. So God asked them the question, Who of you, in verse 3, is left who saw this house in its former glory? How many of you here remember Solomon's temple and how beautiful it was? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to, be, does it not seem to you like nothing? And it looked like nothing <laughs> compared to Solomon's temple. And now here's a group of people just trying to put together an, a, a structure where people can worship God. So the attitude that the people were having is, you know, we kind of remember Solomon's temple. We heard a lot about it with all of its grandeur, all of its beauty, all of its majesty. And here we are trying to put together maybe some concrete blocks to build some sort of a building so that people can come and worship here. And they've got the attitude of, well, what's the use? We can't match the glory of Solomon's temple. We're wasting our time. Nothing beautiful or worthwhile will ever come of it. You know, we got along without a temple in Babylon. We can do without it here. It's better to have the beauty of a great memory of Solomon's temple than just a cheap imitation. So as they were starting to try to rebuild the temple, of course, they didn't have all the fine things that Solomon had, and this thing just seemed so cheap in comparison. And again, I think that there's a lesson for us to learn here today, because Christians sometimes can get discouraged when they think that the fruit of their labor is so minimal. Now let's, let's talk from the heart here. Sometimes Christians look back at earlier years in their church when maybe there were more members, or they look at other churches in their community who may have a finer building or they may be achieving more, and your temple seems so trivial by comparison. Now, have you ever caught yourself over the past five or ten years thinking about the past of our denomination? We think of, you know, the older years of when it used to be called the Worldwide Church of God. And then it changed to Grace Communion International. And we might look around here today and say, yeah, I remember all those people that used to attend back, back in the day, back in those years, you know. And I kind of miss some of those folks, wish they were still, still here with us. And before you know it, you start to get a little depressed or discouraged. Thinking, well, you know, look at the group we have now. And, you know, it used to be that we could fill this room over three times. That's how many people we had coming at, at church services. And what about all the church conventions we used to go to every year? And I know we still think about those things and we talk about those things. And the places that we used to travel because we go to these conventions practically all around the world. And we think about some of the fun times that we used to have. And just like the Jews returning from captivity, trying to rebuild the temple, you know, we get into a bad attitude thinking, oh, what's the use? You know, we got such a small group nowadays. and, And I'm not just talking about our congregation. I have conversations with other pastors and even priests from the Catholic Church whose members are going through the same thing. That there are fewer people attending now and... You know, we're mostly older folks, and we don't have the youth that we used to have. Now, I can remember the last uh, church that I pastored before coming here, we had a roster, our our membership roster, we had 150 kids from age 0 through 18. 150 kids! (laughs) We used to have humongous kids' classes and that sort of thing. We don't have that anymore. So what, are we going to get all depressed and discouraged and quit and, you know, get into a bad attitude? God says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't think that your efforts are worthless. Don't think that your efforts today are minimal because of maybe changes that have taken place. Notice in verse 4, Haggai 2 verse 4, this is what he says. God says this, but now be strong, O Zerubbabel. This is God's message for us today, for the church today. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. Do what you need to be doing as a church Don't worry about conditions that have changed. Don't worry about maybe some of the people that used to be with us that aren't anymore. Don't worry about some of the traditions we used to have as as a church that you really enjoy that we don't do anymore for whatever reason. He says, work for I am with you, declares the Lord God Almighty. Verse 5, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So, you know, just as this was the message for this group of Jews who returned from captivity and were trying to put back together some sort of a temple to worship in, this is the same message for us today. You know, when you get discouraged and maybe a little depressed and think a lot about the past, God does not agree with that assessment of the situation. If they think that their work on the temple is insignificant, they are wrong, God says. So God gives two reasons here why they should take courage and work and fear not. The first reason is, as the scripture said here, God is with them. So God is with us now, just as he was 20, 30 years ago. I said that our church is 55 years old now. God is with us in the exact same way that he has been with us for decades. So how can we ever belittle a work when God says that he is with us in it, as he is today? That means that God is stirring up the spirit in everyone. Notice what he said back here in chapter 1, verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. That's what God does. That's what he's still doing with the church today. Yeah, we may be fewer in numbers, but God is still with us, and he is still stirring us to do the work that he presents for us to do. God not only works with us, but he stirs up our spirit, each of us, and gives us a heart for the work. Hold your place here and turn back with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28 because I want to make a comparison here. You know, we're still in the process of building. The church, the body of Christ, is being built by God today. We're still in a building process. But this scripture here in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 takes us back to the building of Solomon's temple. At At the building of the first temple, notice what David said to his son Solomon, something very similar. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 20. This is David also said to Solomon, his son, very similar words Be strong and courageous and do the work of building the temple, the first temple, Solomon's temple. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. That's the exact same words that he said to the Jews. Through Haggai. And it's the same words that he says to us, to the church today. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. So that was the building of Solomon's temple. In Haggai, we're reading about the building of the second temple. But you know what? God is building a temple today. The church, the body of Christ, and each individual congregation is where we gather to worship God. So in a sense, there's no longer a building that all believers go to. There are many buildings. But God is just as involved in each of the temples, in each of the churches, if you will, as he was back in these days. We're not in the process of building a physical temple in which God can dwell. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Where is the temple today? We are the temple of God, the scripture tells us in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. So there's still building going on here, but it's not a physical building. We're not dealing with concrete blocks and paneling and uh, foundation, a physical foundation of any kind like that. The church, the temple of God is different now. God dwelt in his temple in the Old Testament and he dwells in his temple in New Testament times, but we are the temple in which he dwells, each of us individually and the church as a whole, the body of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. So there's not not a need for a giant building anymore. You see, in this day and age, because of Jesus Christ, God now dwells in us individually. And yeah, he dwells in the whole spiritual church, the body of Christ as a whole. So we individually and corporately are the temple where God dwells today and he is building this temple. He is preparing it. He's dwelling in it. He's empowering us in everything that we do. He's stirring up our spirits as he gives us work to do, and he gives us direction. He's helping us to understand as we study his word and live his word. He is just as involved, if not more involved, with his temple today than he was with either of those grand buildings back in Old Testament times. So you see, the message applies to us today. It's not just an ancient history of a group coming out of captivity and going back to Jerusalem and trying to rebuild a building. It had to do with that, but it is so much more involved today. Not only with the church as a whole, but each of our individual lives. Let's go back to Haggai one more time in chapter two. And in verse six, he gives a prophecy here. And like like I said, even though these people thought that this little building that they were putting together was so pathetic in comparison to Solomon's temple, God prophesied that that building was gonna take shape over the years and eventually outshine Solomon's temple. And remember when Jesus, uh, Matthew chapter 24, he was walking through the temple property with his, his uh, uh, apostles. And it says at the beginning of Matthew 24, they were admiring the greatness of the temple of Jesus' day, which is the second temple. The temple that uh, King Herod had improved so much It was just a beautiful place, and it was greater, it turned out to be greater than Solomon's temple. Unfortunately, that temple was also destroyed because of the sinfulness of the people. It was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, and it no longer stands today. All you see today on that piece of ground, that piece of property in Jerusalem, uh, known as the Temple Mount, It's called the Temple Mount because that's where it once stood, but there's no temple there today. That was destroyed and, and, you know, knocked down to the ground, and all the the accoutrements of the temple were carried away by the Romans. But it says here in Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, this is God's prophecy to encourage those builders at the second temple. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, now it turned out to be many years "'I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, "'the sea and the dry land. "'I will shake all nations, "'and the desired of all nations will come, Jesus, "'and will fill this house with glory,' "'says the Lord Almighty. "'The silver is mine, the gold is mine,' "'declares the Lord Almighty.' The glory of this present house, temple number two, will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Why was peace granted in this temple? Because that's where Jesus came into. And his sacrifice on the cross, which was just outside of that area. It was Jesus who brought peace. So in other words, God is saying, take courage, work, fear not, because you build more than you see right now. All you see is a paltry start to this temple that you're rebuilding, but it's going to turn out to be something much greater. And you know what? God says the same thing to us today. Sure, you may feel a little discouragement because your numbers aren't what they used to be, Uh, you're not involved in all this stuff that you used to be involved in, the travel, the festivals, this, that. Don't worry about it. Take courage, work, continue to do what I've called you to do. I'm going to bring along a lot of opportunities in which you can serve and make a difference, not only in the community around you, but by your efforts, the gospel is being preached on the other side of the world and people are being saved. All you see is a humble, unfinished temple. But God promises to take your work, to fill it with his glory, and to make your labor worth a million times more than you ever imagined. So don't lose heart. God is with us. He is stirring us up. God is in the business of taking small, imperfect things and building them into a habitation for his glory. One last scripture I'll turn to in Revelation, because there's a prophecy for us today. For these temples, if you will, we are the temple of God right now. He dwells in us. It's not a building he's dwelling in. We are the temple of God. It says in Revelation 21, we can look ahead, too, to see what God is eventually going to do with this temple, me, you, all of us revelation 21 1 then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away there was no longer any sea i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband now notice when the holy city comes down it doesn't say anything about a temple a building being in it because and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of god he's not gonna be in a building anymore, is with men and women. And he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be uh, with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So what is the temple that God is going to come to? He's not gonna return to a building. He's going to return to his people because he, has, he dwells in us now, and he's going to dwell in us forever and with us. So we are the temple of God. Don't be discouraged, not just by the congregation and the numbers you see here today. Sometimes we're, we're discouraged with our own life. How can I be a temple of God? I still struggle in my life. I still have problems. Don't fear Just do the work God has given us to do, complete it. And when Jesus Christ returns, our work will finally be finished. And the reward that God has promised for us will be ours in all of its fullness. So yeah, Haggai lived a long time ago and he spoke to a people that we didn't really know. But you know what? His words ring true for us today as members of God's church, as part of the temple of God. Okay, we're gonna have